Hello, hello everyone. This is your host, Akhil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the CEO's impact on sales and overall business leadership. Today, we have our guest, Alice Hyman, joining us. Alice is renowned for elevating B2B sales and increasing valuation for high-growth companies. She collaborates with CEOs and sales leaders to develop strategies that energize sales teams, secure new business, and nurture existing accounts, which we'll talk about today. She's also the host of the Sales Talks for CEOs podcast, which inspires businesses to reach their full potential. So welcome, Alice. Super excited to have you on the show today. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. So uh, let's, let's talk a little bit before we get some of the weeds of, of, of you know, what you do and how you know, we can share with the audience. I'd love to hear, how do you typically work with CEOs right now with companies? You know, a lot of our our listeners in, uh, who are listening in are founders of companies, of most specifically SaaS companies, and how do you help them accelerate their sales and increase the valuation of their company, which is important for, for tech companies? Well, what I try to do is focus the CEO on what they really want most. And some CEOs do have that focus. They have a plan. They have a mission, values, vision, you know, goals, those kinds of things. But sometimes they don't understand exactly how to get the sales that they want. You know, they've predicted that their company can get this, this amount of sales. But as they move ahead, the sales are not coming at the pace that they thought they would be coming in at. Mm-hmm. And or the sales have stalled or things have changed. And so when I start talking to a CEO, I just try to understand exactly what it is that they want what amount of time it's going to, they believe they want to get that within, right? Mm -hmm. And then ask them about what they're willing to do to get it. And that way we can strategize. So I'll look at their current strategy and help them determine if that strategy will take them where they want to go. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they don't have a real strategy. And so we'll build that together. And so once we get the strategy set, then I help them to make sure that that strategy is executed. So that means I do a wide variety of things, including work with their sales leadership and identify what their sales team may need in terms of enablement um, or direction. Sometimes it's even just in terms of motivation, but Mm. taking a look at the overall sales organization and what the CEO can do to support that to manage that against the strategy that they've set so that we have great success in every way. And so, so you mentioned the point of, you know, so CEOs come in, obviously their, their goal in building the company, I mean, a lot of them are, look, we, we need to grow this company. We have a plan that we want to execute on to grow our sales. Now, then you come in and, and you, you mentioned, you know, it doesn't line up with what they'd like to achieve. So maybe they set some targets and then you know, over time they realize it's, it's not lining up and they're not hitting their goals. Why, why doesn't it usually line up to what they, they predicted? Is it, is it mostly because of strategy? Is it because of execution? Is it motivation? What, what do you see as like most common reasons? Well, there, it's always a variety of things, right? But I mm. think the 
key is I mostly work with CEO founders, right? So they're the people who built the company, you know, they started the company, they built the company, they're still leading the company. And Mm -hmm. most of them did not come from a sales background. They came from some other background and they got an idea and they, they wanted to, you know, implement an idea and have a company. So they may know a little bit about sales, And even if they did come from sales, they've never built an entire sales organization that would be required to get the growth they need. So I think the first thing is they simply just don't know, right? Right. They simply just don't know what will work. Now, many of them are in CEO groups or have mentors or people who help them. But I would say that most of those resources focus on the operations and finance and other pieces of the company and not specifically on the go-to-market strategy. And, you know, I I use the word sales all the time, but what I really mean is go-to-market because there is no longer a way to do sales in isolation or marketing in isolation or customer success in isolation. And probably there never was, but more so today than ever, sales, marketing, and customer success have to work together and the operations of the company have to support all of that because what we're really looking for is a keen focus on the customer and the way they want to buy. And I'd say that most CEOs are not in tune enough with their customer to really understand what that buyer journey is. And so that presents big gaps. Right. And how do I know that? Because one of the things I do when I come in is map their current sales process to their current customer journey. And I find those gaps. And so I'd say that that is a big reason they're not getting where they want to be. But inside of that, there's many other reasons. And most of it is mindset and old methodologies. So we have to change our mindset and we have to come into today and look at what is the future may bring so that we can use methods that are current and that work now today. And of course, those keep changing. So we always have to be looking forward as well. So again, it's a variety of things that prevent the sales from getting where they need to be. But it falls back on the leader, typically the leader's mindset, Uh, the methodologies that they may or may not know or that they're allowing their sales team to use that may just be completely outdated Mm -hmm. uh, and really not understanding how to direct the sales leaders and then not really understanding how a go-to-market strategy is needed. Sales just can't work in isolation. It all has to work together. Mm. So, so you mentioned an interesting point, which is a lot of CEOs and, and, and leaders in this space are generally product-led, or maybe they're product, you know, founders who are, you know, understand the product really well, really well at designing or building, but maybe not, don't have the experience when it comes to sales. But you know, you mentioned that it may be more crucial that the CEOs start doing the sales themselves. But often, you know, the people who maybe shy away from doing it rather. You know, take that step of just hiring a sales leader or VP of sales or somebody that experience or maybe partner with that person to, you know, handle that part of it. Um, why, why do you think maybe it's more important that the CEO is involved in that? Maybe, maybe more so in the initial stages or maybe down the line, but why, why should they think about the look? I've, I've got to take on that role and, and uh, lead the sales myself. 
Well, it's important to understand that the CEO will always have a role in sales, but that role changes as the company matures. So early on, founder-led sales is usually the best way to grow the company. So if there's co-founders, they work together to get those initial sales and they continue on making those sales for a while. Now, not to say that hiring a salesperson or sales support can't be helpful from the very beginning because the CEO can be the subject matter expert and the thought leader that can get the attention of the ideal customer and have those initial conversations, but someone else can be the one to do all the follow-up that needs Mm -hmm. to happen and bring the CEO back in as needed and bring other important people into these conversations as needed. But the the CEO doesn't have to be the orchestrator, you know, the project Mm -hmm. manager and do the entire sale. Now, in many founder-led companies at the beginning, the CEO does the entire sales process. And Mm -hmm. I believe that's a good thing because then they learn what the sales process is against what the buyer journey is. So we're all still going to talk about sales process because we need to have some sales processes in place. But Mm -hmm. those sales processes now must map to the buyer journey. How does the buyer, how do they find out about you? How do they approach you? What happens next from their point of view? Then what do they do? Then what do they do? Then what do they do? Mm. Not what do we do? What Mm. do they do as a buyer? So in the beginning, if the CEO, the co-founders are doing the sales, they stay very close to the way that the customer is buying because they're involved with that doesn't, again, mean they have to do the whole thing, but they need to stay involved with it. And then as the company matures, the CEO's role will change many times. But in the early days, when they hire their first seller, they really need to think about what kind of seller they need. They think, oh, I'm going to go hire somebody who's sold in this space before and knows how to do this because I don't know how to do it. And then I'm going to have them do the sales. Mm -hmm. Well, that just rarely works. They hire sales leaders the same way. It just rarely works. Uh, So one of the reasons is because no one can gain access better than somebody with the title CEO or founder, right? Simply don't, we don't let other people in the door as easily as we will let in a CEO or founder. So that's just one big thing that we fail to recognize. Uh, But um, we do need people who we can train to understand our customers first, then understand our product and how our customers use that in their daily life, how it makes their life better. So understanding the day in the life of those people who buy from us, right? Mm-hmm. And and building those processes around that and deciding who's best to play what role in that customer journey. So mm-hmm. maybe the CEO remains the evangelist even when the company's 5, 10, 20 years old, they're out there evangelizing for the company, sharing Mm -hmm. great ideas, directing people, drawing people towards the company. But the salespeople do the work of scheduling the meetings, um, getting the right team together from their side to apply to the team that will be buying, um, project managing and moving things forward helping the customer understand how to buy, uh, moving things towards a commitment 
to buy or a decision that it's not a good fit. And then once you know that decision has been made and they're buying from you, continuing on that customer journey to I'm now your customer, smooth onboarding, um, becoming a successful customer. So it's really just not enough to be a customer. We want successful customers. So if if a CEO looks at each stage in their company, what is my role currently, right? Mm-hmm. Then they will know how to apply themselves really well to the situation. Um, but I think that it is difficult to hire the first salespeople and the first sales leader because mm-hmm. CEOs don't really know what they're looking for. They have an idea in their head. It might not be the right idea for who they hire. And mm. let's face it, salespeople are good at selling you on hiring. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And so you have to have a really clear understanding of what you need in that role before you start interviewing people. And I just think that CEOs don't have that deep of an understanding before they start the interview process. Mm. So you kind of touch base across the entire sales journey. So they, can, they it seems like, you know, they should be involved at all stages, at the initial stages, and then it's kind of filling in the gaps, you know, very clearly in understanding who you need, whether it's, you know, somebody to close the deals, whether it's prospecting, whether, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, but they have roles in there where they can make it easier for customers to do business with them, which which could be, you know, being an evangelist, which, which you talked about, could, you know, I think that that's a continuous thing that CEO should be, should be leveraging. Um, so can, can you maybe share some ways that maybe the, the things that CEOs that you see often may be doing that may actually be preventing sales that they should be maybe aware of and, and try to avoid it, which are, which people don't know about? Well, I think a lot of times it's their mindset to begin with that actually prevents the sales. They have a vision in their head about the way things should go, or they have a mindset around salespeople or a mindset around the customer. And it might be a very limiting mindset or a very closed mindset around those things. And so that in and of itself could limit things. And even some thinking like this mindset, I should not have to go in and close those deals. The salespeople should do it. Mm. Mm. So that's interesting. That's an interesting mindset. But what if the salesperson really did play the role of orchestrator of the customer journey? And Mm. what if the salesperson was able to guide and move things along and help them understand how to buy? But really at the end, what was needed was the confidence that comes from having a CEO show up and that's what would close the deal. Why wouldn't you do that? For example, many of the CEOs that I work with have companies that are between 20 and 100 million in revenue. They all are trying to grow. Many of them are trying to double. But they are all selling to companies that are 10 to 100 or maybe even 1,000 times their size. They may be a software company that's an $80 million company selling to a $5 billion company. Now, if you think that a salesperson, and especially a new salesperson, either new to your company or new to sales, is going to be able to give a $5 billion company the, the the buyers of a $5 billion company, the confidence they need to buy from you, 
"Mm, I think you're probably crazy. (laughs) So let's take these mindsets and really ask ourselves, are they preventing sales or are they helping us move sales forward? The CEO should not just be used willy-nilly during the sales process. Oh, I just want the CEO to be on a call with me. No, of course Mm. not. But if we train our sales teams and our sales leaders how to position others in our company to help them move a deal forward, Mm -hmm. then they know what to do. They know when to bring a CEO in and they know how to prepare a CEO to be involved, right? So we're looking at mindset around things that says those those salespeople, they ought to be able to close all those sales themselves. Okay, not true today. It's not the way it works, especially when you're selling to companies 100 to 1,000 times your size. You Mm -hmm. need to apply a team, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, another sales prevention that I see frequently is legal. There is no one in the company who can tell legal what to do besides the CEO, period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No one. No one can tell them what to do and they're not going to listen. You can tell them all you want. They're not going to listen. The CEO is dictating. Mm -hmm. So if the legal department has been set up with a certain set of priorities and they follow those, Mm -hmm. for example, a a set of guidelines might be first in, first out. So Mm -hmm. as the salespeople give you the contracts, They get numbered. They're in a pile. You handle the one that came in first. Then you handle the one that came in second. Then you handle Mm -hmm. the one that came in third. Mm -hmm. All right, well, let's think about that. So we have a bunch of contracts for $100,000 deals in the pile numbered in order to go. A deal for $500,000 or a million comes in with a company we've been dying to do business with. And two weeks later, the salesperson's saying, can I please get that contract out of legal? And legal saying, yeah, it's going to be another three weeks because we've got a pile of other um, contracts we have to get through. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, first in, first out doesn't work for that. Right. So sometimes things take precedence, mm-hmm. but legal is following the guidelines that were that they were given. So if a CEO does not step in and say, look, first in, first out is not a good method. Here is how you determine which contracts to work on first. Mm. And they have a checklist. If it looks like this and tastes like this and smells like this, you better move it to the top of the pile. Right. Right. Now, Mm. the other thing is most legal departments are overtaxed because contracts are complicated. So when a CEO allows contracts to sit in legal for two, three, or four weeks, they are losing business. And mm-hmm. I've seen it so many times where salespeople say, yeah, the, the customer walked away. We couldn't get it out of legal. Mm-hmm. So wow. you've got to spend money. Yes, does that impact your cost of sale? But what is it costing you to lose those deals? Exactly. So I think that sometimes CEOs don't realize that they are the sales prevention department when they allow their legal team to handle contracts in a first in, first out method. And when they don't apply enough resources to legal so that they can move those contracts quickly. Mm. So that, those are just a few, you know, a few things. There's other ways that CEOs 
impact sales negatively um, when they just simply don't realize and other departments may make rules or guidelines or change things without asking how will this impact our customer? Mm -hmm. Will it make it easier to be our customer? And that's a question I want CEOs to ask every day. What are we doing to make it easier to be our customer and harder to be our competitor? Mm. If you are asking yourself and your team that question frequently, you will come up with some answers that will make you change your behavior. Make it as easy as possible. I love that. And I think that's pretty common, right? Like time, I guess, kills all deals. And if the CEO's kind of processes set in place are the result or the reason for that, then it may be something they, they should look in and, and really work on, right? Because that, that costs them money. So whatever it takes, when it's adding resources or being more efficient in your process, I think you have to look at, at all, all, all of those. Um, <clears throat> you know, speaking about the mindset, you mentioned, you know, there's a system which you, you do work with, I believe, and it's pretty common that a lot of founders work with, which is the, the EOS system, the entrepreneurial operating system. Um, how have you, how do you typically use that or work with CEOs and how have you seen that play a vital role in the, you know, being effective as a business leadership, business leader? Yeah, I love the entrepreneurial operating system short for, I mean, the short form is EOS, people call it, um, Gino Wickman is the founder of the entrepreneurial operating system. And he really, you know, he, it's real genius mm-hmm. in one way and it's real simple in another, right? So mm-hmm. he ran businesses, he, he failed and he succeeded. And he said, when I succeed, what am I doing? Right. Mm-hmm. And he said, businesses need a system to run off of, especially because most entrepreneurs are visionaries. They're big picture thinkers. They're not detail people. They're Mm -hmm. not always very good at managing people or processes or systems. Mm -hmm. And so if they have a system that they can plug into, they can do better. But Mm -hmm. not only that, what I love about EOS is that it identifies clearly that any visionary entrepreneur will succeed And they'll go farther, faster if they have what he calls an integrator. And so you have a visionary and an integrator. Now, in common speak, that would be a CEO and a COO, perhaps, right? right? right, right. So someone who is takes the vision of the company, uh, looks over the financials, cares about the people, but doesn't do the day-to-day operations. Now, before we get you know, big enough to have all of these players in place, we can start to take a look at how to plug into the EOS system Mm -hmm. and move towards that. But very early on, any great visionary entrepreneur who recognizes clearly that they need someone who can actually make their ideas happen will find either a partner, they'll automatically have a co-founder because they knew from the beginning when they formed it, they needed someone Mm -hmm. or they will go out and find a person who's really good at operations and hire them. So whether Mm -hmm. it's a partner or a person who's hired, that visionary CEO has to have that person who's going to take all their great ideas, you know, decide which ones are the best 
and choose together which they'll implement and then actually make that happen before the CEO comes with another great idea. Because <laughs> yeah. that's what visionary CEOs do. And they will drive everyone nuts with all of their new ideas. <laughs> right. So I, I love the system because it just puts some boundaries around things and helps everybody know what to do. It also helps CEOs prioritize Mm-hmm. So everyone, of course, on the team needs to prioritize. But if the CEO doesn't have a good understanding of what it will take to get the vision they have in mind, they yes. can't prioritize. And they're just doing things instead of taking a journey to get to where they want to be. Here are all the things we're going to have to do to get to where we want to be. And of course, we'll have to stop and reevaluate because those things might change. So EOS gives you a framework to do all of that. And it helps everybody focus on the most important things to get the company to the next stop on the road to success. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think I read that book about four or five years ago. And yeah, it's been absolutely game changer. I am... I have, you know, have that system set up within, within our team as well at Horizon Capital. Uh, so my partner Pierre, he's probably the integrator and yeah, I'm also, I'm always the one every week coming with new ideas and he has to, you know, bring me back to reality check and like, Hey, you know, we, we've got to do all these other things and priorities, but yeah, no, I know, I know that system and it works yeah, well. Yeah. Balance. <laughs> we need to have that we should put uh, the book in the show notes. So it's traction. The first book, traction. there's other books as well, but traction right. by Gina Wickman. We'll put That's that right. in the show notes because I think everyone should read it. Even if you don't adopt that exact system, you need exactly. a system, something like that so that you can keep moving your company forward at a good pace, right? You can go farther, mm-hmm. faster, Exactly. Yeah. Can you explain the the concept which you talked about, which is the the, the concept of the genius zone, which you th- you know we believe is where the CEOs should actually be focusing most of their time on? What what does that mean? So I picked that up from reading a book called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, and I tell people about this book all the time because it really made me start thinking differently. And mm. I I said to uh, my daughter-in-law, I said to her, I wish I would have read this book when I was 30. And I mm. wish I would have read it again when I was 40 and again when I was 50. And again, when I was 60, because yes, I am over 60. So it, I think you will get something different out of it every time you read it. Mm. But what's great about this book is it really explains why you why you have success sometimes and you don't have success other times and how you actually ratchet back your own success. Hmm. So there's a couple of concepts in the book that really struck me. One of them is just think of your a gas tank in your car and you have a little meter. Everybody has a little indicator in their car that shows whether the tank is full or the tank is empty, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you think about success and happiness, if you think about your whether your tank is full or whether it's empty, right? Whether you're happy mm-hmm. or you're unhappy, whether you're successful or feeling unsuccessful, you're mm-hmm. usually somewhere in the middle, right? About mm-hmm. half a tank, Right. Yeah. Well, what um, Gay Hendricks explains is that we all have a self-limiting belief on our happiness and success, and so maybe we can we can stand it when we're happy. You know, right there in the middle, right? Our our tank is half full, and we're pretty happy, and we're feeling good. But if something happens 
that's even better. Oh my gosh. And it starts to go towards that really full line. Yeah. We can't take it. We're like, oh no, 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 no. I'm not exactly. supposed to be that happy. Exactly. I I can't feel that good. Mm. And it's not conscious, it's subconscious. So it's hard to catch. And mm. then you do something to make your world a little worse and pull your meter right back to the middle, right? <laughs> Self-sabotage. <laughs> so I love that concept. And I think for all of us who sometimes, you know, doubt ourselves or feel that we're less than or you know, we have that imposter syndrome going on, whatever it is. I think that's a great way to look at it. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Yes, I can be that happy. And in fact, I can be even happier. And yes, I can be that successful. And in fact, I can be even more successful. And Mm -hmm. that's what I want. Now, how do you get there? You get there by working in your genius zone. Okay. So that's, I mean, that's one of the ways. The, uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, you have to start to even recognize that this is happening in your life so you mm-hmm. can stop telling yourself those stories in your head and tell yourself a new story that you can, you know, you can be everything that you want to be. So when you're working in your genius zone, you're doing what you are very best at. You're doing what fills you up, what makes you feel great. It would be what a runner would call the runner's high, right? When you're Mm -hmm. doing it, you could just keep doing it. You could do it all day. You know, you wouldn't get tired. You do it even as you were like starting to fall asleep. You know, it's the things you do the best and love the most. Now, a lot of people say, well, that's impossible, Alice, because what I love the most is gardening, right? (laughs) But I'm an accountant and I have to sit at a desk and do accounting. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, maybe it, it it isn't easy, but it is simple, right? You But you can work towards it. So if you said to yourself today, how much of my time do I spend doing things that I'm not very good at? Mm-hmm. Okay, write those down. How much time do you spend? How much time do I spend doing things that I'm pretty good at? Uh, and, I'm you know, I'm competent enough, right? Mm-hmm. but I don't really enjoy doing them and they drain me. How much time do I spend doing things I'm good at and I do them pretty well and, you know, progress is made. And then how much time do I spend doing things that just light my fire, that mm-hmm. I love, that I just feel great doing and others benefit. It's just the place that I want to be, right? So if you have those four categories and you look at your week and you write that down and you start to see, okay, I only work in my zone of genius about 10% of the time. What can I do to work in my zone of genius? 11%, 12%, mm. 15%. Now, how do I move towards 50% of my time in my genius zone? Well, mm. for one thing, the first thing we're going to get rid of is anything that you're doing that you're really not very good at. So that's your zone of incompetence. And for CEOs, it's super important that they start getting rid of that stuff. They do it because they think they're saving money. You know, they're tripping over a dollar to get a dime, right? It's like, no, a CEO needs to figure out what their time is worth hourly. And then they need to delegate all the activities that someone can do for $30, $50 an hour, even $100 an hour, delegate those and get them off their plate, right? And when I say delegate, I don't mean abdicate. Delegate means you pick the right person, you tell them what needs to be done and how you want it done, 
And if there's some training that needs to go with it, you do that. And then you allow them to do their best work and you move away from it. Doesn't mean you don't hold them accountable. Of course you hold them accountable and you check in, but that's off your plate now. So some of the things that I see CEOs doing that they shouldn't are basic accounting. They don't trust anybody else. They want to do their own books. They're not very good at it. It takes them hours and hours and hours. Mm -hmm. Okay, A number one thing, get it off your plate, right? But there's lots of other things that CEOs do that truly someone else could do far better than they can. And they need to delegate those out. But also, sometimes it's hard for people to figure out what that is in their genius zone. What are they doing well? So one way to find that out is ask other people. You know, when you observe me doing what I do best, first of all, you know, what is that? And how do you know that that's mm-hmm. what I do best? Just ask mm-hmm. those around you and they'll help you know. But also at the end of each day, look at your calendar and see what you did and ask yourself, which of those things you could have done for hours, which of those things you enjoyed the most. And if you've got nothing on your calendar that's in your genius zone, start to make some changes, right? Move away from doing all those things that really don't light your fire. Now, I would say for myself, I probably work, you know, 50 to 80% of the time in my zone of excellence, which is I can do it, I can do it well, and I you know, and people think I'm doing a great job when I do it. Mm-hmm. But the genius zone is just beyond that where I am in the zone, right? And mm-hmm. I'm really making magic happen. So even though I was working, I would say the percent of my time in my excellent zone of excellence, I wanted to move more into my zone of genius. So now I would say I probably work 50% of the time in my zone of excellence, 10% of the time doing stuff that is not genius or excellent, but sometimes CEOs still just have to do that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And then the rest of the time, I'm in my zone of genius. So at least 30 to 40% of my time, and I continue to work on doing more and more in my genius zone. Would you, would you say the same uh, in a genius zone as kind of similar to, to being in flow state? And typically, if you're working on things of excellence that, that fire you up, um, I imagine you get into flow state as part of that, right? Yeah, I mean, I enjoy the things I do in my zone of excellence also, but that zone of genius, it's like there's a tipping point where you just mm. go over the edge and mm. it's just magic. Mm. Do you have some tips on, you know, if founders maybe haven't found or haven't identified or aren't aware of you know, what that is, um, you know, because they're doing, you know, emails, calls, demos, they're involved in all parts, you know, finance, <laughs> looking at accounting, legal, their days are filled up with all different kind of things. How do they identify, okay, this is what I should be doing, you know, because as a CEO, you're, you're involved in just way too much. How do they, they narrow down like, okay, this is where I should spend my time and this is my actual genius zone. The easiest thing to do is start with a stuff that you really don't like and it drains you. Just mm, get it off okay. your plate. Got because <laughs> if you do that first, now you'll have some space and that space will fill up with something and hopefully that something will be at least your zone of excellence, if not your zone of genius, right? So first, just go through and get rid of the stuff that you really don't like doing and that you're not good at and it drains you. That's number one. Mm. Then number two, you got to have some quiet thinking time. You 
you can't figure this out without a little bit of quiet thinking time to mm-hmm. just ask yourself when during the workday, what are the things I'm doing that I love the best? And you just have to note that, right? Mm-hmm. And then, as I mentioned before, the third thing you can do is ask others. Mm-hmm. What, when, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got this concept I'm thinking about, my genius zone, my zone of excellence, my zone of competence, my zone of incompetence. And I just like to get your opinion. You know, what do you think is my zone of genius? So those three things will help. Love it. Um, Alice, this, this has been fantastic. I want to touch base on a final, final question here around, with, uh, you know, part of our sales team and being more effective and part of the mindset. Um, do you have any maybe tips or practices you can share with CEOs to, you know, stay motivated? So I think motivation you mentioned as a, as a part of the, the sales process that's important and that you work with founders on. How can they increase their motivation, increase their, also increase the effectiveness of their sales team as they get charged up and as they're motivated, they then pass that on because they have to lead as that by, by example, right? Well, the first thing is that CEOs need to recognize that they <laughs> it is their job to motivate their sales team and increase their effectiveness. Even if they have a chief revenue officer, a chief commercial officer, a chief sales officer, it is still ultimately the CEO's job, right? Mm -hmm. To motivate everyone in their company and increase their effectiveness and success, not just Mm -hmm. sales. That is the Mm -hmm. CEO's job. And if you are bogged down with other stuff that you know, in your zone of incompetence or even your zone of competence, you won't even have time to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So A number one, always with motivation and effectiveness is you have to be the model. So you have to motivate yourself. Now, most CEO founders are very motivated people or they wouldn't be the CEO founder, right? So staying motivated yourself is important. And you've got to have a way to do that. People do it many different ways. Some people do a combination of things of, you know, getting enough sleep, staying hydrated, eating healthy, exercising, meditating, you know, having time to work on their business and think and plan with other smart people, maybe another group of CEOs or something like that. So whatever it is that keeps you motivated, know what that is and do it and make sure you keep yourself motivated. It's really hard to motivate others when you mm-hmm. yourself are not motivated. Increase, right. Increasing effectiveness is the same thing. How do you tell somebody else to be more productive <laughs> and increase their effectiveness if you can't do it for yourself? That's crazy. But mm-hmm. I know a lot of CEOs who are really disorganized and they're not very productive, right? So you got to think about yourself first. That's A number one. Then second, you have to motivate your leaders and help them become more effective so they are the model, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it has to kind of move from top to bottom. It can also move from bottom to top, but you, you have to have the role models and it has to be an expectation at your company, right? Mm-hmm. It's part of your culture, We stay motivated. We do it this way. When someone isn't motivated, here's how we help them get back to motivation. We Mm. are effective. We are productive. Here's how we do it. Here's how we help each other. Because there's always going to be times when we slip out Mm -hmm. of motivation or we slip out of effectiveness and productivity, but we have to have a way to get back into it. 
So I, I do believe that what's happening today with most sales teams is we have leaders who are ineffective. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're not great people. It's not that they aren't motivated. They want to succeed. They want to do well. But they're ineffective because they just really don't know what to do today. They're mm-hmm. either doing what they've always done and it doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. Or they were promoted to be a leader with zero training mm-hmm. and only poor role models in their past. So they're yeah. trying to figure it out on their own. So CEOs really have to become effective coaches for their leadership team. And if they can't do it, then if they're, you know, their COO, their visionary, another leader, or they can hire someone from the outside to come in and coach their team members. But at the top, we have to be the model. So if a CEO can't coach their leaders, and help them continue to develop, they need to find some help doing that. Because that's what will be most impactful for an organization. We can't have peak performers working for us if we're not peak performers ourselves, right? right. They just won't see the path to it. That's interesting. Yeah, that's not something I thought of that generally that, you know, a company should have some kind of system to, you know, stay motivated or, you know, because as you mentioned, everybody goes through that where they have times in their in their, in their journey where they slip out of motivation and, you know, that could be a good way. So if they don't have a system for themselves as the CEO or the leader, maybe that is bringing on a, a coach or working with a coach for themselves, then they can then you know, pass that on to the, to the rest of the team. So yeah, that's, that's awesome. And I don't think a lot of people talk about that, but I think that's a, that's a great point to, to, to think about. Um, Alice, I'd love to, to kind of shift gears here and go to the second and last part of our episode, which is around the more personal rapid fire questions. So they'll be short and snappy, but you can take your time and you know, how you, you reply to them. Okay, ready for that? Yes, I'm ready. Yeah, ready? All right. Alice, what's uh, one activity you enjoy outside of work that gets you into flow state? Well, I love to sail. So I'll talk about that because it's summer and it's mm-hmm. sailing season for me. Uh, when you're sailing a boat, you have to pay attention. <laughs> you have to pay attention to the weather. You have to pay attention to all the other boats around you. You have to pay attention to the water. If you're in the ocean, you have to pay attention to tides and currents. If you're in a lake, you you have to pay attention to you know other things. There, there may not be tides, but there are other things that will impact you. You have to pay attention to. So mm-hmm. you also have to pay attention to how the boat is reacting to the wind and the water. And mm-hmm. so when you are doing that, you really can't think about anything else because if you do, all of a sudden, <laughs> things won't be going the way you want them to in your sailboat. Right. So um, it's a, a great way uh, to make your mind focus on something, to be outside in nature and to be outside in quiet because yeah. a, a sailboat, of course, is, is very quiet most of the time. And so it's really lovely. So that's what I do. One of the things that I do to get into a flow state. Nice. Uh, what's one piece of advice you wish you had known? If you can go back here in time, you would tell your, let's say, 25-year-old self. Well, at this age, there's a lot of things <laughs> I would tell my 25-year-old <laughs> self. Um, I, I would... Tell any 25-year-old now uh, Mm -hmm. to live for today Mm -hmm. 
but also plan for the future. And to really think 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, so that you can drive yourself in a direction. And not that you can't stop and change direction at any time you want, but to have some ideas of where you want to be in your life mm-hmm. and to work towards having freedom, right? Everybody uh, maybe has a different idea of freedom, but to mm-hmm. work towards having freedom. So think about what you'll need to have that freedom. And, and one of those things is money, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most young people don't understand finance at all. I know that I did not. Mm-hmm. And there's always you know, this desire when we're young to have many things and to be able to travel and, and, you know, we're working to make that money so that we can do all these things and have all these things Mm -hmm. because we don't realize life is long and maybe sometimes it's short, but you know, for most of us, life is long. There's plenty of time to have things and to do things. So we, we need to think about what's most important to us and make those things happen. And if we understand finance well, we can work towards that freedom because we understand of what we make. It's not important how much we make, it's how much we keep. And if we spend that, for example, if we get a job and then we get a house and then we get a car and all the money from our work goes to the house and the car, and now we can't travel or we can't do fun things and it's stressful. And if we lose our job, oh my gosh, what are we going to do, right? Mm -hmm. It's called living above your means. So Mm -hmm. if we think about what do we really want most and take time to think about that and then build some goals around it, we -hmm. would do things a bit differently. So I would tell my younger self, you know, to pace yourself and to think about what's most important. Is having Mm -hmm. a fancy car most important or is having the freedom to travel most important or having the freedom to help family and friends most important? So I think it would just be to really think about things in a different way and to be able to reflect and to set some goals that will really get me where I want to be in my future. Right. And also being able to differentiate whether it's your goals and what you want versus like, you know, do I really want this house and this car because of, you know, society pressure expectations versus exactly what I want. Yeah. That's exactly right. And it's hard (laughs) to separate those sometimes because our parents, our family, our friends, have their own ideas and they judge us or we think they're judging us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in fact, most of the time, they're probably not. And today, more than ever, I mean, when I was young, it was a whole different set of expectations than it is mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So yes, really sit and think about what you want to do, mm-hmm. not what others want you to do. Alice, what are some of the biggest challenges you're currently facing in order to continue your firm and your company Meaning, what keeps you up at night these days? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, nothing really keeps me up at night now. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of past that point. Yeah. But I will say this. The the biggest challenge I have is that there's just me, right? There's only yeah. one me. And I am a consultant. And I'm the only one who does what I do at my company. And over the many, many years that I've been bi- in business, more than 20... Yeah. I have thought about different ways to grow my business. But now the way that I've determined is best for me 
is to be a pure consultant and offer to the CEOs all of the things that are in my genius zone (laughs) and do those. So growing my company is a challenge because I'm not going to hire any other people to do what I do. And I'm only one person and there's only 24 hours in a day and you can only raise your prices so high, right? So there are some limits around it. And my biggest challenge is thinking beyond those limits to something I've never thought of before Mm. that would work for me. So I'm at an age where in the past, many people would be retired already, Now that's changed a lot. People work into their 70s and sometimes into their 80s. And that is something that I plan to do because I love what I do so much. I don't want to stop doing it. But I do want to come up with more and different ways to, to offer what I have, you know, to offer my genius zone out to people who need it And to do that in a way that still gives me the freedom that I want. So I would say that's my biggest challenge. I'm just working on how to do what I do better than I've ever done it before and in different ways so that I can impact even more people who want to grow their companies. Love it. Last question. So with all your experience and time and uh, that you've you've worked in different uh, industries and worked in sales and different organizations, um, what does success mean to you today? Whether that's personally, business, financial, life, I guess, how do you define it? There's no right answer. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to go back to the word freedom. For yeah. me, success is freedom. There is nothing else. And that is the freedom to do whatever it is that I want to do most, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever is most important to me. So mm-hmm. does money help with that? Of course it does. But mm-hmm. is it the very most important thing? No, it's not. So whenever I'm making decisions about my business, about my family, about Mm -hmm. anything that I do, I ask myself, will this give me more freedom or will it limit my freedom? Mm -hmm. And then I have to make a decision about whether I want to do it or not. Because for Mm -hmm. me, that's what defines my success. It's freedom. This has been great, Alice. I really appreciate you sharing all this wisdom and knowledge with our, with our audience. Where can founders or CEOs listening in get in touch with you or, or just say hi or want to learn more about what you do and how you can help them out? Yeah, I'd love for CEO founders to find me on LinkedIn. If you're active there, I'd love to follow you and, and stay in touch with what you're doing and hopefully share some advice with you that will be helpful. So uh, by LinkedIn, it's just Alice Hyman. I'm pretty easy to find. And my website is alicehyman.com and you can find my blog there as well as my podcast, Sales Talk for CEOs. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alice. We'll include your, your, all of those links to our show notes, including the books you mentioned. So I think that our, our listeners will get a lot of value from that. So thanks again. I really appreciate you jumping on today. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you all for watching this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at Horizon Capital and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please comment down below and help us improve our content for you all. 
Thanks again and see you on the next one.